0: Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills, and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I want to give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to Studying the Song. Today, we're gonna do things a little differently. Um, As you know from last week, I talked about doing my reading deprivation. I'm reading the book, The Artist's Way, and that's one of the exercises. So I have continued actually to stay off social media this week. And one of the things I talked about in that episode was tuning into my intuition, and it was telling me to let go of the timeline and just forget everything that you've learned and just like follow your heart. So, I we're gonna talk about melody today. That's what my heart was telling me. And um, I just feel like This show is called studying the song. And so I want to be talking more about specific songs. And so I'm going to have lots of specific examples today. And the question that I want to pose is how does melody tell a story? You know, as singers, we are storytellers and you know, we dissect lyrics and we analyze our character where, you know, we um, work to understand the context of the play and we create a compelling story in our song. But the melody is also its own storytelling vehicle. And that's what I want to get into today. How does melody tell a story? How can we use it to enhance our performance. Cause it's, it's more than just a hanger, you know, for lyrics to be hung on. You know, it has its own beginning, middle and end and an emotional journey. And, um, yeah. So here are some of the other questions that prompted my notes for today and what we're going to talk about. What is a melody? How is it constructed? Are there rules or is it a free for all at the whim of a composer's inspiration and most importantly for us like i said how does that melody tell a story that we can use to enhance our own performance so my hope is that by talking about the building blocks of melody in detail you in detail excuse me you will feel more empowered as you look at sheet music to make decisions about interpreting that music for yourself. You'll be able to analyze the melody. You'll be able to communicate better with the music director. And you'll be able to make personal choices about how you want to interpret the melody. You know, where you would play with a rhythm or alter a note or at a riff. Um, Or do you stretch this moment out? Do you, you do you like, you know, condense and rush through this. Um, You know, all of this, that you will have a deeper understanding of how the melody is constructed, and then you can create a performance that is more nuanced and that is like individual to you, that it's not that you're making decisions because you've been listening to cast recordings and they've just sort of like become part of how you hear the song. So it's going to be some nitty gritty music school kind of discussion, which I love. I went to music school. That is how I came to theater is actually as an accompanist for opera at my college, San Diego State. And that was really where I fell in love with playing the piano for singers and then being in voice lessons and accompanying and learning about voice and how to coach and all that kind of stuff. So anywho, music school kind of stuff. Um, it's the nuts and bolts of melody, and there's actually quite a bit I want to talk about. So this is going to be a three episode series, three different parts. Today, we're going to talk about melodic contour. So what it is, and how does it tell a story? part two, which will be next week, is going to focus on melodic motifs. What are they and how do they inform our performance and storytelling? And then part three will be melodic form. What is form? How does it help us tell a story? Okay. Always coming back to the storytelling. Um, like I said, I'll use lots of examples. I'll just be singing different melodies for you today. Um, it's pretty much all going to be acapella. I do have a keyboard here if I need it. Um, and I'll put all the songs that I reference in the show notes, which you can find at koryyamaoka.com. And um, so in case you want to go back and be like, oh yeah, what was that one that she mentioned? It'll be in there. So let's get into it. Let's Let's paint a picture here. Do you ever sing a song and think, gosh, that feels so good to sing. There's just something about singing this song that feels good in my voice. It's catchy. It's memorable. When I start singing it, I just want to sing it all the way through to the end. Okay, you know those songs. We all have them. Hopefully, we all have them in our books, but we've sung them in life. Um, and that is the sign of a well-written melody. Those are the songs that become our classics that we sing over and over again in auditions and cabarets. This is why certain musicals get done a lot. One of the reasons because the the melodies are written so well. They just they just like cling to your ear and they feel good on the voice. Sometimes that's because there's like a rhythmic playfulness to it. Like, um, one of my favorite shows is guys and dolls. Let's see in a hideout provided by Nathan, 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 Detroit. Such a cool little rhythmic, um, hemiola pattern for the Nathan series of lyrics. Um, sometimes a song feels great because you know, it's just really free flowing and elegant. Memory all alone in the moonlight. Just so beautiful. Um, other times they feel, you know, I don't know, there's like an excitement or a suspense in the singing of it that feels really cool. Like, um, See, when I meet the wizard, once I prove my worth, and then I'll meet the wizard, what I've waited for since birth, right? So it's like this repeating low note, and then it finally rises, and you get this little payoff at the end. So, these songs, what makes them so good is that the words and the music are linked up perfectly. You know, the melody going up and down, you know, the tensions and the releases coincide with the lyrics, ups and downs and tensions and releases. They're married together with their intent. And, you know, I posit that what really makes them good is the melody. The melody is the primary element of any song. Yes, there's there are lyrics, there's harmony, there's orchestration, but the melody is the thing. Like if you didn't have the melody, you wouldn't have a song. You would just be speaking in rhythm, okay, which is cool. Um, you know what? I have to, I'm thinking of rap. You know, is rap a song if it's rapped from beginning to end and there's no melody? I might have to rethink what I just posited. Hmm. Okay. So let's say outside of rap, what makes songs really good is the melody. Okay, cool. So melody has its own integrity, its own story to tell. Um, musically, there are questions and answers. There's, that is such a thing in music. Like it can end on a certain note that sounds unresolved. And then the next phrase ends on a note that sounds resolved. That's a question answer phrase. There's a dissonance and resolution. Like I said, beginning, middle end, there's climax, denouement, all the elements of story. And it's all told through a sequence of pitches that we call melody. Think about any instrumental performance you've heard. You're taken on a journey just by listening to the music alone. The notes rise and fall. The tempos slow down and accelerate. We interpret what's happening as being playful or jaunty or celebratory or triumphant or tumultuous or dark. There is all this character that comes through in the music even though it's not a specific character from a play or a specific storyline that's happening, we still superimpose a character and a story onto that. How does that happen? The melody is constructed with certain patterns, composition conventions, we'll call them, little things that makes it have its own logic, okay? It is, today we're gonna talk about the melodic contour. How does the note move from one note to the next note? How does a whole phrase, how is the whole phrase shaped? Um, And then how do we put the phrases together to create a longer melodic contour? We're gonna talk all all about that today. So let's do it. Um, What is melody? First question we have to answer. Melody has two components, pitch and duration. What's a pitch? Sorry if you already know this, but we're just going to lay it all out here to get a firm foundation. Pitches are the specific frequency of a sound vibration that differentiates it from other sounds. We call them notes. Some notes seem like they're higher than others. Some notes seem like they're lower than others. In music, we label pitches like C, D, E. And more specifically, C4, D5, so that we know exactly what octave that pitch is happening in, okay? When we write pitches on paper or notes on paper, the way that we have figured out to communicate with someone else, the exact pitch we're talking about is by creating the five-line staff, yeah, that has a clef at the left-hand beginning of each line or each Staff and on the staff, a space represents one note, a line represents another note, and that clef at the left hand side of the staff tells us exactly which notes those are. So, you can have a treble clef, a bass clef, an alto clef. We don't really use alto clef in musical theater, that's more of an orchestra thing, especially for violists. If you ever played viola, you know what that is. So, pitch. Different notes, they sound different from each other because the vibration is physically different. Duration is the other element of melody. What do we mean by duration? That's simply how long you hold a pitch, right? Is this a long note? Is this a short note? How does it relate to the other notes around it? In music, we have created rhythmic notation like quarter notes and eighth notes that tell us how long a note is held especially in relationship to another note. So like a quarter note is one thing, and we know an eighth note is half the length of a quarter note. If this is news to you, um, you know we can talk more about um, rhythmic specificity, we can talk about the basics of rhythm in another podcast, send me a note. Um, you can also look up all this stuff on YouTube and on the internet and find some amazing instructional videos about it. Okay, let's keep going. So a melody is made up of a series of pitches with specific durations. Or we could say a melody is a series of notes played in a particular rhythm, okay? Now what is melodic contour? The melodic contour is basically the direction the notes move from one to the next. Is the next note going up or is it going down or is it staying the same? And then as the melody unfolds, you start to have what sort of looks like a little, a little, um, like a landscape, right? Where it could be like a little hill that goes up and then a valley that goes down. And then maybe there's just some flat grounds and then it goes up to a big mountaintop and then down. So that would be the rise and fall of your melody. That's all melodic contour is. And that melodic contour is one of the ways that a story starts to emerge. It's one of the ways that we can enhance lyrics, or that the composer and the lyricist work together so that lyrics fall on a on a certain um, series of pitches. You maybe a, a a lyric about soaring or flying is up on a higher note. Um, maybe a lyric about rain falling down is a little descending series of pitches, that kind of thing. Now, you know, as in all theory, they've like created so many names for things that are actually quite simple. So, um, when a note moves from one note to the next note, there's different ways, right? It could move stepwise. As in, like up the steps of a scale or down the steps of a scale, um, a step would be the same as the interval of a second, okay? Um, whether major or minor, a step just means a second, okay? In, in music land, I'm assuming most of you guys are probably familiar with this, but you know, it's good to just lay out the, the nomenclature, as they say, the terminology. So when we move in a stepwise motion, it's called conjunct motion and conjunct motion is the most desirable motion for melodies. It's the easiest thing to sing and to play, just going from one note to the next one up or down a scale, right? You can hear, you can anticipate where that's going to move. So let me give you an example. It's in every song you sing, but here's a little example. Um, Hot Cross Buns. Hot Cross Buns. We're just walking Mi, re, do, or if you're a numbers person, three, two, one, okay? And then it repeats, hot cross buns, and then we get a new part of the melody, one a penny, two a penny, right? Do, 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 re, 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 hot cross buns, we end with three, two, one. I totally mixed solfege and numbers, I hope that's okay with you guys. So that is very easy voice leading because you're just walking up and walking down. Now that seems like, oh, well, it's a folk little, you know, nursery rhyme. So of course it's easy. But every song that you sing is based on conjunct motion. And importantly, if you're doing ensemble stuff or if you're singing in a choir, um, that is one of the things that's really important for your line to be easy to sing, right? A composer tries to give you voice leading that makes sense and leads through the harmonies, you know, cause you're singing four parts or whatever it is. So you should have pretty much conjunct motion within your harmony as well. Even if you're not doing like a solo song, but you're singing in an ensemble. That's just a side note. Okay. So as we know, though, we don't only sing with stepwise motion. When we sing melodies, that would get super boring. We also move in leaps, okay? That's when you're skipping more notes and you leave some in between. So there's actually a thing called a skip, and that's if we went from C to E, you just skip one note, D, right? Or if you go from D to F, you're just skipping one note called E, so a skip is equal to a third, if you're interested in that interval. And then anything beyond that, we just call a leap. So a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, an octave, or even beyond that. This, you know, music-y term is called disjunct motion. Okay, there's conjunct, moving in steps, and disjunct motion, which is leaps. Most melodies, oops, excuse me, most melodies don't leap larger than an octave, Okay, it's really difficult to make wide leaps from note to note when singing. Octaves make sense because it's just the same note, but up, right, on the next, on the next octave. Sorry to be repetitive. Um, but in most instruments, I'm not just talking voice and beyond even just Western music, if you look around the world, you're not going to have huge leaps of ninths and tenths, right? Voice leading is about the closer um, intervals, all right? Now let's talk about, um, oh, you know what? I wanted to give you another example for conjunct motion. Sorry, going out of order. So we did hot cross buns. Here's another conjunct that is a descending stepwise motion. Da, 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 da. Joy to the world is just eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. We're just walking backwards down a major scale. Okay, so that's like a lot of stepwise motion. Here is now an example of a disjunct big leap where like it's actually one of the things that the song is, um, you know, known for. Somewhere over the rainbow. You know what? That song's actually just called Over the Rainbow in case you wanted to know. Um, Let's see. Somewhere over the rainbow. Somewhere is an octave. Way up high, way up. That's a sixth. There's a, that's another six. Um, man that I heard of once in a lullaby, right? So you get and then you come down in a stepwise motion. So it's big leap and then a little step, big leap and a little step. That's actually sort of the motif of that song. So it's used to great storytelling effect in this song because the song is all about like going up high into the sky, over the rainbow, through the clouds to another land. And so the melody is based in this jumping motion ba, like you're leaping into the sky or leaping over the rainbow. So that's like a very clear storytelling connection you can find there. Interesting point especially if you're composing and thinking about, um, arranging for, four voices, any leap is usually resolved in the opposite direction of a step. Okay. Usually a step could be a leap in the opposite direction, but it's usually a step. So somewhere, oh, it goes down. So it's octave up down a step. Okay. And then the same thing, uh, way up, oh yeah, way up high, that's a six going up and then down a step, there's a land, <coughs> Guys, I'm in the basement and I'm having frog in my throat, sorry. There's a land, you leap up a six and come down a second. So always resolving in the opposite direction. You are going to look at your music and start noticing that that happens all over the place. All right. Here is another example of a song that has a lot of leaps. Let's see. How does this go? When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. So the whole foundation, when you wish, it's a big Octave leap up and then resolves in stepward motion down. When you wish, a, right? Da, da, ba, makes no another octave that comes down in steps. Difference who you are. Leaps up there. Anything your heart desires will. That is just a, descend, a descending scale. And then come to a big leap down. You. So there's an example where. Come to is a leap downward, and then the next pitch on U is a leap back upward. Ba, ba, ba. Then when you do the second time through this verse, um, the melody. Ba, ba, be, yeah, dreamers do. It's a big leap down, and then just a single step resolution going up. Okay. So I'm looking at sheet music right now. I hope this is not confusing to you. I'm trying to pick songs that everybody can really like internalize and visualize because they've heard these lots of times before. Um, So yeah, I'm going to keep moving on because I don't want to get bogged down in sheet music. If you are on a run or you're washing the dishes, hopefully you can um, digest all this information as you're doing that stuff. Okay. Okay. Here is another example of disjunct motion, and I'm going to show you one that breaks the rule of resolving in the opposite direction. The song, Bushel and a Peck from Guys and Dolls. I love you, bushel and a peck, a bushel and a peck. So that is bum bum bum, bum bum bum, bum bum bum, three times in a row, basically. Okay. And it is the ascending intervals of a third and then a fourth. B to D is a third to G is a fourth. And even though it's two leaps in a row, the reason that it works is because you're outlining the chord that's being played in the accompaniment, which is a G chord. If you're familiar with B, D, and G, those make up a G chord. Um, and it's the one chord or the home do chord, tonic chord of the key. Cause we're in G for this song. So you can break the rules. Of course, you're going to find that there are, you know, m- multiple leaps in a row sometimes, but there's usually some sort of logic that makes it, um, singable. Like another part of this that makes Bushel and a Peck singable is that it's the same thing three times in a row. I love you, a bushel and a peck, a bushel and a peck, and a hug around the neck and then does something else. Okay. So there you go. Conjunct or disjunct motion, the building block of melodic contour, like how do you get from one note to the next note? So now let's actually zoom out a little bit from our melody and we're going to look and find the focal point of the melodic contour. All the notes are either going up or down or staying the same. And then there's usually one section that it's all sort of like going toward. And usually it's a high note that is the focal point. Sometimes you can have a low note as the focal point. Okay. So I'm just in the world of guys and dolls. So luck be a lady, the refrain, luck be a lady tonight. That is definitely the focal point. Everything else is very repetitive. And then you get this little, you know, high... Um, pop up to this note, and then it comes back down. So it gives it a cool architecture when you look at it from beginning to end. It's sort of like little foothills up and down, up and down, up and up, up and down, and then boop, a big peak, and then back down. Here's another example from Guys and Dolls, um, the actual title song, Guys and Dolls. Let's see. Um, The A section goes... When you see a guy reach for stars in the sky, you can bet that he's doing it for some doll. That bet, you can bet that he's doing it for some doll is the focal point of that series of phrases. Um, they do it again. And then we get the end. Call it sad, call it funny, but it's better than even money that the guy is only doing it for some doll. It doesn't slow down like that, but I slowed down so that you hear some doll. That is even higher than bet. So while the word bet might be the focal point of the A section, like two or three phrases, the some doll is the focal point for the whole refrain, A-A-B-A, we'll get to form in the third episode in this series. So there's some focal point, there's some thing that you're going to that stands out as as different from the rest and that makes a melody interesting it gives you something that you can come back to it makes it memorable and this is oftentimes a critique of contemporary pop musical theater writing and just pop music writing in general is that there's not always a single high note or focal point that it's kind of driving towards it can be kind of same New, like a noodly melody, I like to call it, where it's just sort of like wandering around the same three or four notes, which might feel good to sing because the harmony and the rhythm and the beat and everything like that. Um, but as far as a melody goes, it's not all that interesting. So I find that that happens much more in pop writing. And you can even tell from the, the examples that I'm using, these are older examples. This is like classic musical theater writing that I'm looking at. So, um, styles have changed, but what we think of as a good melody has not necessarily changed. Um, One more example of the high note um, focal point would be, again, in When You Wish Upon a Star. Such a beautiful melody. So let's see, let me find a good key. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are anything your heart desires. So that anything is definitely the high point. And again, this is cool because you're talking about wishing upon a star. So you get the leap when you wish. It's sort of like looking up to the sky, right? makes no difference who you are. Anything. And I love that the highest note is on the phrase anything because it's like the world is your oyster. There is no limit anything your heart desires. And they put that on the very top focal point of the whole melody. How cool is that? Like the melody is telling a story and this, you know, why I am so um, enthusiastic about this, I guess you could say, and why I bring it up in lessons a lot uh, and coachings is that, you know, people start to want to change the melody And that's okay. We can do our own interpretation. We can create variation. But until you know what the structure is, you really shouldn't be altering it or changing it in any way. You need to understand the sense of it and the logic of it so that the changes that you make um, can still honor the melody and still honor the lyrics. And you know if you're doing the sh- this any song within the context of a show there's maybe more expectation that you would stick to the melody if you're doing a song in the context of your own cabaret or you know some other sort of like little review that you're making then you might be able to do more variation but in any case think about what the structure is as written that the composer wrote cuz there is a reason that these notes are written in this way okay So now that we've looked at melodic contour from detailed point of view, one note moving to the next, and then we've taken a look back to see, you know, what the focal point is of the whole landscape of a melody. Now we're going to go back to sort of a mid-level, okay, somewhere in between. What are some of the patterns that we're seeing in the landscape of the hills and the valleys? Okay. When is there a swell going up or coming down? Or like I said, noodley, where it's like back and forth in, in um, you know, a few notes and not m- moving very far at all. So let me pull out my sheet music for King of New York. Let's talk about that song first. Okay, so in King of New York, I'm using the, um, the excerpt from the original movie because that is what I grew up watching and I'm not using the lyrics from the um, musical the stage musical. Okay, there will be a slight variation. A pair of new shoes with matching laces. Okay, so we have a little ascending, da da back down, Ba-ba. then back up, ba, then we return, right? And then we do that again, da 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 da. Slight rhythmic variation, but it's still an up, a down, and up, return back ba da 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 oh we do it a third time and then something different happens da 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 so that just keeps going up 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 a saturday oh gosh i'm out of the key now a porcelain down with boiling water a saturday night with the mayor's daughter okay and in the original version it doesn't go the mayor's daughter it doesn't go up to that high f that is saved for the second time through i think in the stage version it goes up to The F every time, which you know, why do we do it the same every time? Maybe it would be exciting, like the original, to stay on the C mayor's daughter and then next time go up to the F sharp. But you know, that's a personal thought. So, this is cool. We get little v- valleys, but returning to the low note, and then what's cool is that you're these are guys, kids, sitting around, kind of. Talking about their dreams, right? And each dream, they're kind of trying to one-up the other person. The first dream is a pair of new shoes with matching laces. Someone else's dream. A permanent box at the Sheep's Head Races. Oh, no, I got a better dream. A porcelain tub with boiling water. And then, oh, no, I've got the dream that's going to beat out everybody. And I'm going to sing it on a melody that goes up higher than everybody else. A Saturday night with the mayor's daughter. Ooh, a Saturday night with a girl? Heck yeah, that's way better than the other dreams you guys were talking about. So the melody is telling a story. Also, what's happening in this melody is that it's kind of in a, um, it's in a dotted, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's like a swing, almost dotted feel with the rhythms. And so it's a little bit more like a spoken quality. And when you then go into the chorus of... Look at, oh, Corey, stay in the right key. Saturday night the mayor's daughter. Look at me, I'm the king of New York. The melody shifts, right? We're all up in the higher part of the voice because now we're the king of New York. Now we have won. We are triumphing. Our voice is soaring. And now these rhythms allow for the voice to sing a little bit more, um, in a singy way with longer vowels. Look at me, I'm the king of New York. It just feels so good. And the release up into that high part feels so good in the voice. It's really excellent melodic writing and it matches the content of the lyrics, right? The next lyric is, suddenly I'm respectable staring right at you, lousy with stature. And then we get this descending motion, yeah? Yeah. Super cool. That's one example of that mid-level, right? Where you're seeing some patterns emerge and seeing how those are telling a story with the lyrics. Okay, let's look at another one. Okay, now we're going to look at Nowadays from Chicago. And this is the... um, What key? Let's see. It's good. Isn't it grand? Isn't it great? Isn't it swell? Isn't it fun? Isn't it nowadays? So now you're thinking, oh, I hear a focal point. I hear a high note that is the only high note, right? Isn't it fun? Isn't it? So when you get to that word fun, there's a feeling of release, Because it's the highest pitch and, and it's the most important word because of what's happening before it. So it's good. Isn't it grand? Isn't it great? Isn't it swell? Isn't it fun? So good, grand, great, swell, fun. We're ascending in mostly half steps there. So each word is a little bit higher than the previous descriptive word, good, grand, great. Each word is a little bit more important or has more weight with it than the previous word. And then the highest word, or the highest note is on the word fun. So that should be the most important, the most imbued with with meaning and something, a specific image in your head. Now, the next verse does the same exact thing, but we just get a different set of words, again, with increasing importance on each one. There's men everywhere, jazz, everywhere, booze, everywhere, life, everywhere, joy, everywhere. So joy is now the peak importance word. It's on the highest pitch, right? And that joy is, you know, you can mess around with whoever you want is what she's talking about, right? Because the next section is, you can like the life you are living. You can live the life you like. You can mess around with Harry. and Those are an approximation of the lyrics. But we now understand, ah, so her her joy, her fun is messing around with guys. There's nothing too serious. Do what you like, right? And then it comes back to the A section again. And we get the same exact words. It's good, isn't it grand? Isn't it great? Isn't it swell? Isn't it fun? But now, even though we're repeating, um, now we have that B section about, you know, messing around with whoever you like to inform these words. And so now they are elevated. There's something new that is being said, okay? Then she says, oh, let's see. But nothing stays. Ooh, the word but. There's a change, a new thought. And then she goes on, in 50 years or so, we're in a low range. It's gonna change, you know. It's almost like she's getting serious with us. She's warning us in this low part of her voice. And then there's another but. But, oh, it's heaven oh, that's so glorious. Nowadays. This melody is the highest point of the whole song. Heaven now. Heaven and now are the same pitch. I think it's an A. So it's not a single focal point, but it's definitely the main climax of the entire piece. And it is what she does. She's an ostrich, right? Um, Roxy, like, buries her head in the ground. She wants to just pretend she's totally in the moment and there's no consequences. Now I know Velma is also singing this song and she's all about being on stage and being the center of attention as well. So they're not gonna think about too far in the future. They're just gonna be in the right now, which is heaven. And that's why the melody reaches its climax on those lyrics and is actually the highest pitches in the song on those lyrics. Oh, my cat is meowing. Hang on a sec. Sorry, I had to let my cat in the room. He just meows at the door until I let him in. And then once he's inside, he just meows at the door until I let him out. So life with fur babies, right? Okay, so that's it. Those are my examples. Melodic contour is part of how melody tells a story. How a note moves from one note to the next note, note, either conjunct or disjunct motion. And then how the contour will have a single focal point and that high pitch or sometimes low pitch um, will, some, will usually show the an important lyric that is being focused on as well. And then being able to follow the rises and the falls of the melody and see how that can um, help you dissect your lyrics for more meaning. And then when you only listen to it, it's still telling you a story, even though it might not be exact to the context of your show, because there's no lyrics, but you can still feel that there's a beginning and then there's a little bit of rising action. We get a little bit of something happening that's different, right? Some action. And then there's still a climax just within the pitches of the melody. So next time we're going to talk about then, more specifically about motifs. There's little sections of a melody that recur throughout a song. And one of the masters that we will look at is Stephen Sondheim. He uses motifs all over the place to create melody without having to, you know, reinvent the wheel with every phrase. He recycles his motif and changes it slightly each time to create a melody. Um, But I won't get into that too much right now. Um, And then as I said, part three, we'll talk about the melodic form. How do the sections start coming together and how do we make sense of those and how does that um, inform our storytelling? So let me know what you thought about this. Is this the kind of thing you're interested in? Because I'm super enthusiastic about talking about the details of the music side of studying our songs. If you like this episode, send me a message, the song at gmail.com. You can just leave me a quick note. I'm the person reading the emails. Doesn't have to be a big note. Would love to hear from you. Um, doesn't have to be a long message is what I mean. Not a big note like, oh, right. Um, you can share this with a friend. That's the most important thing. Like let's spread the love and spread the word to other people. I am still on my... Instagram break. So I'm not doing a lot of promotion on Instagram right now. Y'all, we got to unplug, but go ahead and listen to the last episode if you want more on that. But still share a screenshot so that other people can see what you're listening to, or just text a screenshot to, to someone that you think would enjoy this and get something out of this. If you would like to work together, Would love to coach with you. You can visit my website, koryyamaoka.com for information on coaching. And then also the show notes will be there too. And then lastly, if you want to leave a review, that would be greatly appreciated. And I will read your review in the next podcast episode. So that would be super cool too. Um, Until next time, I hope you are well and healthy and studying songs and just enjoying singing, enjoying the melodies that you're making. All right, y'all. I will see you next time right here on Studying the Song.